The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up the mountain, and after he had sat down, his disciples came to him. He began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they insult you and persecute you and utter every kind of evil against you falsely because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. Just a quick show of hands, has anyone throughout their life ever had a negative thought about themselves or felt bad about a situation they were in or just not had a great day? Okay, so all of us. Which means these readings today are in particular for us. You hear this gospel reading of the Beatitudes, you've probably heard it tons of times, and yet... It's so contradictory to what we would expect or maybe think. Jesus is talking about how blessed all these people who look like they have crappy lives really are. Like, blessed are the poor in spirit. I don't want to be poor in spirit. Blessed are the mourn, those who mourn. I don't really feel like crying today. Blessed are those who are persecuted. That sucks. <laughs> so we know that Jesus actually has something to invite us into, something for us to even reconsider that the difficulties that we bear aren't all that bad. You look at the very first reading, the very first line of the very first reading, seek the Lord. Come and seek the Lord. Seek after the Lord. However you want to remember that. But seek the Lord. You might be thinking, Okay, yeah, sure. How? It's always the next question, isn't it? How do I do it? I want to do it, but how do I do it? Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever dated someone? Okay, how many of you have ever gotten a job? How many have ever um, tried to discern like their vocation in life? Okay, again, most of us should have raised our hands. The fact is, if you've ever done any of those things, you actually know how to seek the Lord. Huh. Did you know that? Did you, did you realize that connection there? That to seek after another person, to have a friendship, a relationship, a marriage, whatever, actually requires that you go and spend time with them. It requires that we go and communicate with them. It even requires sometimes discovering what their hobby is and then doing it even when you don't want to do it. It's sharing interest. It is opening our eyes and, and looking at them and chasing after them in the same way that they may be chasing after us. That's all it means to seek the Lord. Do we spend time with Him? 
Do we talk to him? Do we talk to other people about him? How many had to talk to like your sibling or a friend when you wanted to date that person? Yeah. Thank you. One person. Okay, good. (laughs) He's still in it. I like it. Like, we don't do these things by ourselves. We seek the Lord together just as we seek one another together. However, and this is the big but, if there's no conviction, if there's no zeal, there's no passion, there's no interest, we're not going to do it. If you really don't like that person, you're not going to want to go and spend time with them. You're not going to be around them. You're not going to care what they think about you. And so in our own lives, the same applies to God. Like, if our faith isn't there, if we don't feel something at times, or we don't believe that He really cares, we can lack that conviction. You can say it's not even worth seeking Him. It's not even worth going after Him. And, and brothers and sisters, we have to resist that urge at all costs we have to resist these lies these ideas that you know this whole god thing is just some made-up reality if it's a made-up reality then the majority of the world is screwed because even if we take away just the catholics we look at all of the christians we look at all the muslims we look at all the jews all we look at anyone that has any belief of religion in a higher power The majority, and I'm talking like 98%, are are messed up then. And I don't think we are. I think we actually do know what we're doing. I think we do know what we're striving for. And yet, what makes that so hard, that, that makes it so difficult to lack that conviction at times? And I think this is the answer. The world, in our time, it's probably always been there, but it's really evident now, there's this vice called asadia. Say asadia. Yeah, it just sounds nuh. Right? Asadia. It means laziness. It means to not have like a desire. There's a, a really awesome book out there. I don't remember who the author is. It's called The Noonday Devil. And it's about this vice, asadia, that as we go through our day, we can kind of find patches of our day. We're just like, I don't want to do anything. Usually after that, that, that noon lunch, you're just like, I don't want to go back to work. I don't want to continue pushing forward. It's like, yeah, we have to resist the urge of, of laziness, of, of slothfulness. And we all face it in different ways. So the fact that we are called by God to chase after him means that we, we seek him in different ways. We, we look to have communication. We look to spend time. We look to find interests and hobbies. We talk to other people. We try to reinvigorate that conviction, that desire, that passion within us. We fight against the urge of asadia, laziness. We fight against those, those thoughts in our heads like, I just don't feel like this today. There's a lot of times we don't feel like doing something, we still do it. I don't always, this is going to be a shocker, I don't always feel like getting up and saying Mass in the morning. I love Mass. When I'm here and I'm in it, like, I'm on. You're probably thinking, like, he's had too much coffee. Fun fact, I don't drink coffee. (laughs) But, like, there are times in my human nature, I'm just like, all right, I'll go, I'll do this thing. And I get here and it's just like, oh, Yes, I'm so glad I did it. I mean, I bet there's countless times you can think of, I don't want to go and do that thing, and once you're there doing it, you're like, I feel so much better. 
We have to remember that. So yeah, we're not always going to have that feeling in us. We're not always going to have the thought of like, man, I, God's really looking out for me today when I've hit every red light and every appointment I've been to, I've been five minutes late. Like, no, he's still there in it with us. He's actually reminding us that it's, it's the ones that feel like we're having the bad days, that our lives are a little messed up, that actually those are the ones he's doing the most with. And that's why the second reading is so important. Because if you listen to it, you hear, he says, some of you are probably surprised by your calling. I, I called the weak to shame the strong. Some of you, you're not that smart. Like, Paul is a pretty blunt dude. He's like, you're not that smart. And I picked you to shame the wise. I mean, how many of us are probably thinking, like, I have no idea how I got this job, how I got this person. Like, I have no idea how I'm here. And it doesn't matter because God had a plan for that. You're probably thinking, like, why am I a parent right now with this little itty-bitty person? I don't know, but you are. And that's awesome. So God calls us, even surprises us in our vocations, whether that be like our big vocation to be holy or our specific vocations of marriage or priesthood or religious life or even like the really minor vocations of like a teacher, a medical worker, a tax collector. Don't, well, mm, mm, we'll go back to that one. But like any of the, any of the other jobs that we have, those are all minor vocations too. Um, so the Lord is calling us and sometimes surprising us in the midst of that. But when we look at the Beatitudes, we really kind of dive into them. We see how all of them are, they're tweaking what the world has tried to create as an expectation. The world has tried to create, whether that be through the Instagram filters or the social media or all the, all the other stuff like your life is good when you have these things. Your life is, is happy when you've achieved this reality. And we just have to be reminded that that's not always the case. That we don't have to... There's a, a movie, it's out there called Keeping Up with the Joneses or something like that. And it's like you're always striving for the next thing of the world to try to match this person. It's like, I don't need to do this anymore. It's actually exhausting trying to keep up with with them. We go back to just that first call when Jesus says, follow me. And we're seeking him by just having conversations, by just interacting with him and with people who share that same desire, that same faith, even when we struggle with the idea or lack the conviction or we're in this place of just laziness, we resist it because we know there's a better thing waiting. So I just want to do a quick walkthrough of the Beatitudes because I think they're really, really beautiful. So, blessed are the poor in spirit. These are the people who are unattached from the world. They find security in the Lord and rely on His mercy rather than the merits or the things of material wealth. So when we're actually poor in spirit, we're saying, Lord, I, I need everything from you. I'm dependent upon you. I don't necessarily need that car, that, that house. Those, like again, basic needs, of course, but do I need the excess of it? Those who mourn. Again, we always probably think of like those who have lost loved ones and things. And of course, yeah, those who mourn, who have lost their loved ones, there's going to be a comfort God has for us. But it also includes recognizing our own sinfulness. Like that's what we do at the beginning of Mass. 
We acknowledge our sinfulness and say, God, I need your help because I'm not perfect. And I'm okay with that. But it's also thinking about the saints who had to suffer for their faith, the saints who endured all sorts of difficulties because they wanted to continue to lean into the goodness of God. The meek might be my favorite ones because the meek are always considered the, uh, the, the less than powerful, the, the unimportant, the forgotten, the marginalized. And what the meek are meant to be understood as are those who have this inner strength to restrain their anger, their discouragement in the midst of all of the adversity of the world. Meekness is actually a really important thing for us to, to embrace, to say, just because I'm going through something doesn't mean there's not worth or value in it. Those who hunger and thirst is just those who are living rightly and according to the will of God. Like we are, we are so desiring and, and intentional and focused on saying, I want what you have to give me, Lord. The merciful, man, we could definitely use more of this. Right? Those who imitate the Father's mercy by extending forgiveness to others. Right? To be merciful is to be patient and understanding and in bearing others' faults. I think about this all the time with my own parents. Like, how merciful do they have to be to me as I'm growing up? Because as a kid, like, we don't know stuff. How many times do they have to tell me, don't stick the fork in the socket? Apparently a lot. So apparently I kept trying to do it. And, and they were merciful. They didn't just like beat me and say, stop doing that, you idiot. Like they, they said, no, Jay, okay. They took the fork away from me. Like they were merciful. In the same way, like we, 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 we come across people who sometimes you're just like, you want to shake them. And yet like we offer the mercy because it's not just us, but it's God in and through us. When we give mercy to someone, we share with them God's love directly. The pure in heart. You've probably heard that phrase like, oh, you, said, you have such a pure heart. They act with integrity and serve the Lord unselfishly. The peacemakers, and we need more peacemakers. They share the gospel so that others can be reconciled with God and live in the peace of Christ. And then finally, the persecuted probably the one that we're least looking forward to. But the persecuted are the ones who, while they might be slandered, they might be abused, they might be oppressed, and it's not because of anything other than their witness as a Christian. Someone says, oh, you're a Christian? You believe in that stuff? You're, you're crazy. You know, that's, that's persecution. Those who lose their lives because they acknowledge and celebrate God, that they say Jesus is Messiah, like that's persecution. Those who are made fun of, those who are put down, that is persecution. And the people who are persecuted are promised one really important fact, one really important truth, that the kingdom of heaven is theirs, that God created that for them. And so again, we, we all acknowledge at the very beginning, we've all been in a not-so-great place at some time of our lives, which probably means we've also been persecuted at some time in our lives, which, if we do the math, means the kingdom of heaven is waiting for us. But that requires a reigniting 
of conviction in our lives. That requires us to seek the Lord consistently, constantly, without stopping, even when it's exhausting. It requires us to acknowledge in our own frailty, our own weakness, our own um, error, that God wants to use us because we are his sons and daughters. There's not a single person in this church today who God does not love, who God does not think has value or worth, that God does not want to use for something good. And so if you walk out of here with that lie, that's just all it is, a lie. Because God has a specific, unique, beautiful plan for every single soul sitting right here today. And honestly, he has one for everyone else out there. But he's calling us to go remind them. He's calling us to remind ourselves. And so this is the spiritual task for the week. When you get home, even if you do this throughout the week, that'd be great. Go back to, to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. Reread the Beatitudes. And just sit there with them. And just ask yourself this question, very bluntly, very boldly to the Lord. Lord, which Beatitude are you calling me to live right now? That's all you have to ask. You, maybe you get the answer right away, maybe you don't. But you just you know, look at them, you read them, you're thinking like, da-da-da-da. And this is the thing. If you get one you don't like, you don't get to repick. All right? So if you get persecuted, you don't get to repick. But you look at it, you pray, you say, Lord, which beatitude are you inviting me to live? And then pray with that. Think about that. Talk about that with someone. And when I get back from vacation, I want to hear about it. Like, I can't wait to hear what you lived this past or this coming week in regards to the beatitudes. Because they all have something to offer. So recognize this, the Lord is calling us. The Lord is calling us despite our own stuff. And the Lord is specifically calling us to reject the ideas of this world right now. To actually prove that the meek, they are strong. The sorrowful are joyful. That those who are persecuted have a great reward waiting for them. So may our hearts be reconvicted today so that we can ide identify and live the beatitude God is inviting us into.